We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host Nick Pilato. The first 24 hours and, and change of the NFL's free agent legal tampering period were insanity. As an NFL editor in charge of covering every drop of news and on the late shift last night, I will honestly say that I didn't feel like I even had a second to breathe yet. Uh, the good news is I got Nick to help guide me through this. So before we dive into the Giants, very, very active, at least in my opinion, first day of free agency, I wanted to check in with Nick. How you doing? How you handling all this? I'm doing pretty well, man. I mean, talk about getting our minds off of a worldwide tragedy that is going on, literally an epidemic. Uh, I mean, got to thank Bill O'Brien for that, man. Got to thank Bill O'Brien and a lot of these, uh, just the NFL world at this moment. Yeah, what a what an interesting trade that was to trade DeAndre Hopkins, who is still only 28. And you know, everyone who listens to this podcast knows I do believe in the mainstream uh, among media and fans, the impact of wide receivers is very overrated. But with that said, all he got back was a second-round pick and an atrocious contract. David Johnson's running back contract is so bad. It's like they, they literally should have gotten picks just to take on that David Johnson contract. And then I read that Houston took on all the money from that Johnson contract. Are you kidding me? God, that was bad. And it makes me – okay, go ahead. No, no, I, was, I, was, I thought it was going to be one of those things where the Cardinals went into it like, yeah, we got to trade David Johnson's contract. I know we might have to get rid of a pick, sort of similar to Brock Osweiler. That's <laughs> what I thought, too. I can't believe what the Texans were doing there. That was unbelievable. Makes the Odell Beckham trade look that much better, even though you're sleeping if you still think that was a bad trade for the Giants. And if they do try to put him back on the block and there's rumors the Browns might this offseason, though, it doesn't look likely because – Listen, his trademark ain't what it used to be, um, and you're starting to see it for some of these receivers. Even Diggs really didn't get nearly as much in return as what the Giants got for Beckham. Um, I I agree, Dan, but my one thing, man, like the Steph Diggs trade, I mean, obviously the uh, the Bills had to give up much more, but I still think – am I wrong to think that first rounder is too much? I believe it's too much personally, um, but I did – I actually graded the trade, and I said it was a win for the Bills as well because – while I think it normally would be too much, I think for a team in their spot, Nick, where they're really they feel like they're a step away uh, from making that next step from you know wild card loser in the playoff round to playoff run. I don't know if I agree with that because I'm not a huge believer in Josh Allen. But having said that, they believe that, and they believe that Diggs is a perfect fit for Allen as a quarterback. 
And what they're going to look at it is like this. Listen, now they got Diggs. Now they got Brown. If you want to play split safeties with coverage over the top to keep those guys honest with Allen's arm talent, they'll beat you up all day up the middle and, you know, in the run game with Devin Singletary. So I see what they're thinking there, Nick. And I think they're saying, listen, we could draft a receiver with that first round draft pick. And it's an incredible wide receiver class, but we don't know if he'll immediately be able to have the impact Diggs makes. And just for me, the reason I also kind of just don't think it's 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 that bit. Uh, I don't think it's that that much, Nick, is because I'm a huge believer in Diggs. I think he's arguably a top three route runner in the NFL right now. I think he's a better route runner than Odell Beckham Jr. I'll say that right now. Um, I know people might think that's crazy, but Beckham Jr. is a route runner. He, he really hadn't looked the same in his last year with the Giants or last season with the Browns either coming off that injury. To me, he hasn't looked the same since the injury. And I know I said it a while ago and people went nuts about it, but we haven't seen much of those slant to the houses from Beckham over the last two or three years. But anyway, to me, I think Diggs is kind of an untapped potential, Nick. So that's kind of where I stand on that. Uh, yeah, no, I, for me, uh, I just I thought it was a little bit much, to be honest, with the wide yeah. receiver class coming in and everything. Right. But And it's a receiver. I mean, these guys, yeah. a lot of them, and there's a lot more coming in. So I definitely get it. But just from their standpoint, I think they think they're a little bit closer to a Super Bowl than maybe they might be. Um, but, Nick, let's dive into some of the Giants news. Obviously, people want to know. Let's start at the top with the Giants' first big deal to sign cornerback James Bradbury former Carolina Panther, former Dave Gettleman draft pick to a three-year, $45 million contract. Before we drive into some of the details on the contract and things like that, I wanted to get your opinion on Bradbury's addition, having had the chance to break down some of his game tape. Yeah, so I uh, I like James Bradbury, and I went out there and I said that in my article for Big Blue View and for SI that he's not a true lockdown number one corner. And I think people misconstrued what I was trying to say. I'm not saying that he's not a top 32 corner in the league because he is. I'm saying that he's not one of those top five Patrick Peterson type of players. And he gets this high contract because he's a young player that hits free agency. And that's just how free agency works. That's why he's getting $15 million a year. So I like what Bradbury offers from a mental aspect of the game. I think he's excellent when he's in zone reading routes underneath and kind of seeing how the route combinations develop coming off of his initial route and then making a play. He does that several times. And you guys know he was in the NFC South. So he had to cover Michael Thomas, Mike Evans twice a year, Julio Jones twice a year. So this three year, $45 million contract, I'm not too upset about three years. From what I understand, it's a contract that after two years, if it doesn't work out, it's easy to get away from it with a limited amount of dead cap in that deal. What I like also about Bradbury is how physical he is at the catch point. I love how he gets his arms around. He turns around. He doesn't really take a – he always gets his head around and just knocks the ball away, and he's very disruptive at the catch point, another very positive point of his game. Some of my concerns with him is his deep speed, and sometimes he tends to get a little bit high – in his back pedal, especially when he's going up against some of these really elite wide receivers, which kind of lead to uh, problems with his transitions and it kind of just looks choppy. Saw that a couple times on film, put it on Twitter, some of the, just like his deep vertical routes. And also in run support, he always puts himself in the right position, which I love. He doesn't shy away from contact like Janoris Jenkins, but he's not necessarily uh, – overly strong with his tackling ability. He doesn't really bring a lot of power for a bigger. He's 212 pounds, six foot one. It's a bigger cornerback. Doesn't really bring as much power. He's more of a going to either throw his body wildly at you or kind of like wrap up and hold on kind of tackler, which is uh, something that I don't really love, but it is a cornerback position. So we've got to keep that into effect. He's not necessarily great in press coverage from what I've seen either. Um, even though he is that really long, uh, kind of has that build to where you would expect him to be. But overall, ball skills, mental ability, has fluid hips for a guy of his size when he keeps that center of gravity down. All those kind of things, he stays in phase. He has plus athletic ability, even though he doesn't have that deep speed. All those things lead me to liking this contract and liking the fact that we brought somebody in to kind of pair with DeAndre Baker to kind of develop this young secondary and hopefully they can just maximize and continue the trajectory of growth in the positive way. Yeah, Nick, you said a lot there, and I love your film breakdown. I've actually had the most – of all the signings they've made, Bradbury's the guy I've had the chance to look at the most. I looked at three games of his from 2019. I plan to do more, obviously, when I get the time. But for me with Bradbury, I think what it comes down to with this signing is the Giants had an idea when they went into this offseason of what they wanted to do. And that idea was they wanted one of these two boundary cornerbacks who they believe can hold up 
and when uh, when the Giants' defense is facing a three by one set by the opposing offense, and what that means is, you know, as we've seen in the NFL, most teams are playing eleven personnel these days with three receivers and a tight end who can move, who can run routes, and who could be something in the passing game. Well, usually that results in a bunch on one side of the field or three receivers on one side of the field in some formation, and then that one lone wide receiver, the X, usually on the boundary. And what the Giants felt, I think, based on looking at the tape and based on looking at where they're moving forward with with um sorry not James Betcher with Patrick Graham's defense is that they need a cornerback who can hold up in the uh, against these three by one sets as the one solo guy on the number one wide receiver so they can use their safeties more interchangeably so they can play more single high safety coverage and for me Nick you look at the numbers and Bradbury did just that now there were some varying results because. He did it against some of the best receivers in the NFL while playing in the NFC South. He had to match up against Mike Evans twice a year. DeAndre Hopkins, he he played against in the 2019 season, but sorry. But Julio Jones and Michael Thomas. And what I found most interesting, and this was a, a, a series of stats put out by PFF's Jeff Ratcliffe, is that Bradbury was a shadow cornerback, was that one in against three-by-ones, and did follow the number one receiver to wherever he went in eight games during the 2019 season, both times against Thomas, both times against Julio, both times against Evans, against DeAndre Hopkins, and against DK Metcalf. That's a pretty awesome slate of receivers he played up against. And yeah, there were some games where he gave up some some big numbers. Uh, Mike Evans had seven receptions for 82 yards, but that was on 13 targets. That's not great. He held Evans in the other game to just three receptions for 61. Held Hopkins to 27 yards on three receptions. Michael Thomas, who dominated every single person, only had five receptions for 51 yards against him. Metcalf only had a single catch for 17. And then in Julio, in the two games against Julio Jones, he allowed just six receptions for 94 yards in two games against him. And in those games, he actually covered Julio on three-fourths of his routes total and combined in both of those games. Um, and then obviously the Week 17 game that people talk about was when he held Michael Michael Thomas to zero receptions, and that was on when he covered him for 78.6% of the route. So he has a lot of success covering these bigger wide receivers because he is six foot one, 212, and he does, like you said, use his body well. He's really active on in pass breakups and, you know, at the point of attack, at, at, the, point of, at the catch point. And these are all things that I like, Nick. I think it was important to get one of these boundary cornerbacks Way more important than people realize, even though the Giants have invested a lot of assets into the cornerback position in recent years, they needed somebody to put, to lock down on those three-by-one sets. He's not going to be an elite shutdown guy. We know that. Or maybe he will be because he still has room to grow. He's still young enough to evolve into a better player. And it's you can make a good case that he played his best football, at least in my opinion. I know the PFF grade says it was during his rookie season. I think he played his best football last year in 2019. And I think that, specifically speaking, he's a good fit for what Graham wants to do on the defensive side of the ball. So, Nick, with all that said, is there anything else you want to add on Bradbury, or do you want to give this one a grade? Well, one thing I will add, and it's going to sound like I'm shitting on Bradbury, and I'm really not. I really do love this signing, but I just want to provide some context to some of those numbers. He was beat really badly on some of those routes against some of those big-time receivers, Julio Jones, Mike Evans. I actually did end up putting it on Twitter just to provide context. Again, still love the signing, not shitting on it, but if Drew Brees doesn't underthrow the ball or if Mike Evans doesn't drop the ball, those are like 60 yard touchdowns by these big time receivers. So just wanted to provide a little bit of context on that, but it doesn't matter. He still faced murderous row and he still held up admirably. So if I'm going to give my, is it time to give the grade Dan? Should I give the grade? Give the grade, give the grade. I'm giving it an a minus man. Cause I think the three year, $45 million contract is reasonable, especially with the cap that's going to keep growing. And the giants, if, if he does prove himself, can resign him still will be young at that time. So I'm going to give it an a minus. I do like this addition. I think it significantly helps the defense. Okay. Uh, I think you're a little higher on Bradbury signing than I am, Nick. I'm going to give it a solid B, just a flat out B for me. Again, I think the giants were a little scared off by, their past free agent transgressions, you know, getting into that bidding war with the Jacksonville Jaguars over Olivier Vernon, coming out on top of that bidding war, having to really go over the top on Vernon's contract. Like, even last year, Vernon was still, like, basically the highest paid defensive end in the NFL. I think he was either one or two last year, which is crazy because it was years after he signed that deal with the Giants in free agency. But I think what they learned, or at least what they feel from that, 
is that they made a mistake by going above the the Jaguars who had the Florida state income tax working in their favor. The tax laws for all these free agents who signed with Florida teams make it so the contract offer they get from any of these Florida teams is always going to be bigger than what they get from a team like the Giants because they're saving so much money when it comes to the tax laws. But my point is they got into that bidding war, they beat out the Jaguars, and they regretted that. So I think that's kind of what happened when it came to Byron Jones because, as we'll talk about a little later because we have this highlight as one of the things we want to talk about, the Giants were in on that Jones signing. Ian Rappaport reported, and I have it on, on, on record from my sources at CBS. They wanted Jones. They wanted one of these two, but they kind of, you know, bowed out there. And the deal he signed with the Dolphins, by the way, the Giants were going to have to give him even more than that, that record-setting contract because, because of one major factor. He's saving a ridiculous amount of money from signing with a Florida team. So they bowed out for that reason. I'm not so sure it was the right decision. I honestly believe that they're saving money for, for re-signings, but Byron Jones to me was worth every penny. Byron Jones to me was a guy who I didn't put a price tag on. He's a rare hit to this free agent market, and you know I thought he'd do an even better job of all the things we say and we hope Bradbury will do for the Giants. Now, having said all that, still a B for me because I like what we talked about with Bradbury, and I like the length of the contract, Nick. Three years, $45 million. It gives them a lot of flexibility, and if Bradbury does improve, he could hit that market and get them back comp pick if he gets a massive deal because he will still be at an age where he can get a big contract uh, after, you know, these three years. And wow, breaking news, Nick. By the way, Joel Schobert just signed a five-year, $54 million contract with the Jaguars. That's a lot more money than I expected and a longer length. Um, but anyway, back to Bradbury. Giving it a big. Yeah, well, we'll be getting some breaking news on this pod as we go because we are recording in the middle of day two of the NFL free agent frenzy. But back to the back to the Bradbury. I'm giving it a B. And we're moving on to the next signing, Nick. And that next move came at about 1 a.m., if I remember correctly. My eyes were still bleeding from looking at a computer for, I don't know, 12, 15 hours straight. And it was to sign off-ball linebacker Blake Martinez to a three-year, $30 million contract, former Packers inside backer. This came after the Raiders had already signed a Nick Filato sleeper free agent who turned out to not be a sleeper because he was signed on day one, and that was Nick Kwiatkowski. He got a three-year, $21.5 million contract. And the Giants, by the way, were reportedly in on Kwiatkowski there, but bowed out, and the Raiders got the Raiders paid a little more than the Giants thought he was worth. Um, this also came before the Raiders landed Corey Littleton, kind of a favorite of the fan base, uh, top coverage athletic linebacker for a three-year, $36 million contract. After having the chance to dive into that Blake Martinez game film, Nick, what do you think of this decision? Now, the Raiders are just hoarding all the linebackers right now, Dan, Dan and friends. But so uh, I, I would have preferred the Nick Kwiatkowski, especially at seven mil per year, and especially because he's much better in coverage. But I do want to watch some earlier Martinez because it seems like out of pa- I've been reading just Packers Twitter, Martinez. And from what I remember, just from his early years and just following the NFL was a much better run defender when he was with Dom Capers and then Mike Pettin came in and it kind of went down. But what I saw in the, I believe I watched five games so far of his in, um, cause I, I heard the news at like 1230 last night. I watched a couple of games before I went to bed. So I was able to squeeze them all in. I watched the San Francisco game. Now that game, it's a train wreck, but it's Shanahan out scheming and out coaching the hell out of the Packers entire team and then that defensive front which is important for linebackers because defensive linemen are supposed to gobble up some blocks and allow the linebacker to scrape over top allow them to kind of recognize play that bait and bait and switch game with the running back none of that ever happened and literally he was just getting dominated at the second level by like two blockers because San Francisco was just far superior of a team than Green Bay but as for the traits, I see someone who's a leader. He led that team. He was the defensive play caller for that team. And he's constantly communicating with the line, with the secondary, with everybody around him. And that's something that I think we probably undervalued about Blake Martinez because we know Gettleman puts that in a high order, puts that in high esteem. And he was doing that for Green Bay, a team that made it to the NFC Championship game. So I love that. And I do like some of the film that I saw, especially against Seattle in the playoffs divisional round, of him operating within the box. It seemed like in that game he was closer to the line of scrimmage, whereas I watched the Minnesota game, and then I watched some of the Detroit game. I still need to finish it. That's the second Minnesota game and the first Detroit game, I want to say. And he was a little bit further away from the line of scrimmage, and it seems like he was getting located very easily at the second level by centers, by guards. And while he has shown the ability to stack and shed, which I have seen, I've also seen him get absolutely turned away. 
I do feel like he plays with good leverage. I feel like he has a good punch, but there are times where he is too far away from the line of scrimmage and he just significantly struggles, which is concerning. Now, with that being said, I do believe he is a much better run defender than Alec Ogletree. Everything I've seen in coverage so far hasn't been necessarily ideal, but at the same time, people I feel like are looking at the numbers of Blake Martinez and they're like, oh, wow, he surrenders a lot of catches. A lot of those were against slot receivers going over the middle and things that you don't really necessarily expect a linebacker to be covering. But he doesn't necessarily have those type of athletic traits that I feel like the NFL is kind of moving towards when it comes to the linebacker position. He isn't necessarily overly fast, doesn't have that sideline to sideline speed, is kind of stiff and doesn't obviously have the hips that can flip like some of the linebackers that we were hoping the Giants would pursue or land in the draft. But I don't like the contract that much, especially when I look at Littleton being signed for what, 1.5, the same years, three years, but it was like 1.5 million more. And I feel like he would be a better addition, somebody who could cover those tight ends where I don't necessarily see that with Martinez as much, even though I didn't see it too much on the film. In the 2019 film I watched, him doing man coverage on tight ends down the field, it was a lot of man on running backs or zone coverage type of stuff. And I think Martinez could upgrade his spatial awareness in zone. He gets back to the landmark pretty well and he allows for those check downs which I'm totally fine with but there were times where he would allow for those check downs go in for the tackle and miss whereas I see him as a I want to say a solid open field tackler there are times where he would just duck his head and miss and that's also a concern to me so I have reservations with this addition with the money that it was that was allocated towards him especially when I look at the other linebackers that were signing around the league and what they got Yep, I get it, Nick. I mean, we're, we're pretty much on the same page in that regard. I personally was always a Joe Schobert guy over a Corey Littleton guy. And it's interesting to read today that the Giants really didn't have any interest in Littleton while, you know, they were kind of in on the Kwiatkowski signing before going Martinez. I read that they weren't interested in Littleton, and that, that does seem a bit surprising. But, you know, like I said on the last podcast with Littleton, uh, I'm interested to see how he, how he plays without Aaron Donald and the rest of those players around him. I really am interested to see. It's got to help to have Aaron Donald in front of you. It really does. Um, but obviously, he has the athleticism. He has the ability to flip the hips. And we both are in agreement that we want these kind of linebackers on the New York football giants. We want guys who have that, you know, who are kind of moving in that new direction of athleticism at the second level. And maybe Martinez doesn't have that. But there are some good things to say about Martinez. For starters, uh, he rec- according to Jeff Ratcliffe of PFF, he recorded a tackle on 15.5% of his snaps, and that includes run plays and completed passes. This was the highest rate in the league among all three down linebackers. Um, I also posted that he has, among 60 off-ball linebackers, Martinez was number four with 37 run stops right behind Luke Keekley and Bobby Wagner. Now, what is a run stop? A run stop is, is, a, is a statistic that Pro Football Focus came up with, basically judging based on down and distance. There's a formula for it. It determines if a play was stopped, uh, if a play ended up being a positive for the defense based on down and distance. So, for example, a stop for two or three yards on first and 10 would be a run stop, would be a positive. But if they gave up five yards and made a tackle, it wouldn't be. So, you know, he has the ability, but he has the ability to, to really help the Giants in the run game and in the box. And I will say this. Obviously, we're all looking for talent for athletic linebackers at second level, Nick. But I think we can both fairly say that watching tape of this team over the past few years, the Giants really struggled when they were run head on with Alec Ogletree. He was really bad in between the tackles against the run. Is that fair to say? Yeah, he was very uh, abysmal at doing that, and especially when it comes to keying, diagnosing, and recognizing the run. Something that, I mean, I know a lot of people on Twitter, I see a lot of people bashing uh, Blake Martinez for RPOs and things like that, but I did see somebody who would wait, be patient, and kind of, especially on the inside zone teams that he faced, would wait for that running back to try to commit, and then he would be there, and the running back would have to kind of hesitate a little bit and kind of cause an indecisiveness of where to go like he would fill his assignment well while doing it because I feel like Martinez is a very uh, high football IQ kind of player and then also kind of take away other uh, gaps that were kind of materializing within the interior parts of the offensive line so those are definitely things that you'd want to see but again there are other concerns with this game as I alluded to earlier for sure and I completely agree with you on those but I think Often publicized with Ogletree was his deficiency in pass coverage, especially when matched up against running backs and tight ends. But he was equally, if not more, deficient at what you just talked about. 
King and diagnosing run plays. And that left the Giants in a really bad spot in a lot of situations. They gave up tons of big run plays. You saw they lost an entire game against the Arizona Cardinals last season because they couldn't stop simple run plays. And Ogletree played a huge role. Just the entire run defense played a huge role in that. And they've done, they've had steps since then to kind of improve that. They traded for Leonard Williams and they tagged him and he'll be back on the team now. They signed uh, Blake Martinez. They believe Bradbury can help them in that regard as well. Um, so they have an idea of how they want to stop that. And while, you know, stopping the run, we both, me and you both agree, isn't as important as maybe the Giants feel it is. It still plays a key role because it gives them an opportunity to get them, get the opposing offense into those third and long situations. And eventually you got to be able to stop the run or you're going to lose games like you lost to the Cardinals. And there are other games, by the way, the Cowboys game where the Cowboys were running at will on that Monday night football game, just completely controlling the line of scrimmage, even though the Giants really made some decent progress in that game on offense and moved the football really more than the Cowboys for the for, for the for most of the game. I believe they actually ended up with better time of possession and yards in that game, but they couldn't stop the run and it did hurt them in that game as well as the Cardinals games. There's examples of this. It's it's a little more important than fans want to give it credit for, even though obviously I'm on, on the same page as you. But I think ultimately, Nick, this signing came down to a couple things. The Giants want a guy like 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 Martinez, who's a team captain, who can really, you know, be what they hope for hoped Ogletree would be in the run game. And then they also liked that he was coached by Patrick Graham in 2018, who was with the Packers. And he probably sees an example of how he can now use him in the Giants defense that he's kind of structuring now based on, A, the talent that, they're, that they already have on the roster coming back for the 2020 season, and B, the talent that they're going to be bringing in through free agency in the draft. And Martinez is one of those, is one of those players now who's going to be involved in that. So, that's just simple how it is, but let's get to the the more simple thing of this, Nick, and let's get your grade on the Martinez signing. I'm going to go with a C, just a flat-out C. Thought about maybe giving it a C-plus because I do love the leadership aspect, and I, I like the three years maneuverability in the contract, but I don't like the fact that it's 10 mil a year, so I'm going to go with a C. I am going to give it a C, but not for the contract purposes, Nick, because I do think 10 mil a year these days is really – not what it used to be. That's closer to six, seven with the cap jumping uh, so much already in 2020. And the cap is going to jump even more in 2021. So these contracts you're seeing now, I don't think can be compared to past uh, off seasons, especially not 2018 and especially not, uh, I'm sorry, not 2019 off season and especially not the 2018 off season, just with the jump, the massive jump in cap from then until now. Um, but having said that, I can compare it to these other contracts, Corey Littleton, Kwiatkowski, yes. yeah. and, and Jill Schobert. Even though Schobert got more more years, um, he uh, only got $12 million on signing and $22.5 million guaranteed. So he did get more in that regard, but I don't think it was you know exactly that much more uh, to the point where I, I would have passed on him. But what I'm intrigued, uh, as we move past the grade, Nick, I am intrigued by kind of the direction they're moving with the inside backers. So I guess they're counting on Ryan Connolly to play a big role when he comes back, because to me, it seems like they're getting similar. They're getting a lot of what they're, what they'll be getting by re-signing David Mayo in signing Martinez. Am I off on that? Um, I, I feel like from a leadership perspective and a command, just, I'm just talking fit schematically and what they can do, what their skill set is as a linebacker. I mean, you're not you're not super off on that. I mean, I don't like just to compare two players just because they do similar things like that just uh, on a whole. But you're not really off, so I can't really knock what you're saying there, bub. <laughs> With currently no NBA, NHL, or college basketball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong there, bub. Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, from their online casino to poker and blackjack all open 24 hours a day and all online so you don't need to go outside sports aren't totally done there's still mixed martial arts and esports is on the rise if you're into entertainment you can still bet on american idol the elections the spelling bee and even nathan's hot dog eating contest be sure to use promo code bluewire all one word to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit Bet online, your new ticket to online action. Yeah, I mean, it's more so like I'm kind of trying to still search for and find how they're planning to match up against tight ends, how they're planning in coverage, how they're planning to match up against running backs in coverage. Um, and, and, it, and that's yeah. the interesting thing, too, is how are you going to do that, especially when you have that chess piece in Julian Love if he doesn't, if they don't try him out at that deep half safety and they do right. go in this season with Bethay. 
How are you going to use love with these linebackers when it comes to covering the tight end position that is just, you know, growing exponentially every year with the usage of some of these really athletic tight ends? Sure. And I think, again, you're, you're counting on a lot if you're hoping Ryan Connolly is going to come right back into the mix because he tore his ACL, I believe it was week five against the Redskins. And, you know, that's no guarantee that he'll be ready for week one. And even so, he's going to then have to, to you know, kind of fast forward and learn this new defensive system with completely new play calls and playing alongside a completely new group of basically off uh, linebackers. So I don't think that's kind of a guarantee by any means uh, in that regard. So I'll be interested to see how that plays out as well, Nick. But let's move on to the third signing the Giants made, and the details aren't out on this one yet. Um, but the Giants did open up the second day of legal tampering period by bringing on board blocking tight end Levine Toilolu. The contract details, like I said, they haven't been released, but what do you make of this deal? Hey, I'm fine with bringing in Levine Toilolo because you know, obviously Red Ellison retired. You bring in Toilolo, who is more of that blocking kind of tight end. He's not going to offer much from an athletic standpoint when it comes to receiving in that phase of the game, but he will be a big target in the red zone that can maybe help uh, Daniel Jones in that area of the field. But when I heard it, I was like, oh, that's fine. I like the fact that they're bringing in uh, somebody like that to help with the uh, running game on the edges. So I uh, like the fact that they brought in Toilolo, honestly. Yeah, I like this signing too, Nick. Um, he's actually been in the league for longer than I thought. He was a fourth-round pick in 2013 by the Falcons, played most of his career there, then spent uh, 2018 with the Lions and 2019 with the Niners as kind of their number two behind George Kittle. Played a handful of snaps in the playoffs, nothing crazy. Six foot eight, 260 pounds, massive 34-and-a-half-inch arms, uh, 10 and one-fourth-inch hand size. Ran a 486, which is Actually, pretty surprisingly fast given two, his, his 260-pound uh, weight. Didn't really impress too much in the vert or the three-cone as an athlete. But given his size, he was actually somewhat impressive there. He's actually flashed a little bit to me when I've noticed him as a receiver, though he hasn't been used that often. To me, more than anything else, I like this signing because I want to put an extra – I want to have the ability, the Giants, to put a big guy at, at, in line at tight end who's not Red Ellison – who's not Scott Simonson, you know, someone who can actually step, step foot on that line at the edge and block and be a big presence there and, you know, work in some of these combo blocks that we're going to see in some of the power and gap running game we're going to see as we move forward with Jason Garrett's offense. Now, hopefully the Giants don't get to the point where they're tipping their plays and Tony Lolo is only coming in for a handful of snaps on obvious run plays. That, I hope, doesn't come to the case. We've seen that before with other coaches uh, in Giants history. So uh, I'm really hoping that doesn't repeat itself. But to me, more than anything else, Nick, this signing signifies the Giants are still in their in, in their mind going for the same tenants that Dave Gettleman put out when he became general manager of Giants. And that was stopping the run, rushing the passer, and running the football. This is a signing to me that signifies they want to run the football and be a run force team with Barkley mix in some of these power concepts and he's going to help them do that they believe so that's kind of where i see that give a grade for me on the toy lolo deal not knowing the contract details yeah i was gonna say not knowing the contract details it's kind of hard so i'm just gonna give it with a nice b i like the addition of the player i don't expect the giants to overpay for his skill set i mean it's backup tight end so imagine he's gonna get normal backup tight end kind of money so bb plus somewhere around there it's kind of hard to give the grade though yep i'm gonna go ahead and give it a b I think it's pretty solid signing. Nothing, nothing too crazy. That maybe a B plus. All right, Nick. Let's talk a little bit of other free agency uh, things that have gone on so far. Who is what has been the biggest surprise for you so far in free agency from a Giants standpoint? From the Giants standpoint, uh, let's see. They haven't gone after an edge rusher yet. I would have to say. Uh, I mean, this pass rush right now, you're looking at O'Shane, you're looking at Lorenzo, two players that aren't quite where they need to be at the moment, mainly because they're young, especially in O'Shane's uh, situation. But yeah, they haven't signed any kind of edge rushers right now. I mean, we're not sure what's going on with Jadivian Clowney at the moment. We saw Emmanuel Ogba go to the Miami Dolphins. I feel like the Dolphins are really scooping up a lot of the players that you and I both wanted to go to the Giants with Byron Jones, Kyle Van Noy, and Ogba. I think Ogba would have been excellent when it comes to setting the edge, but he's no longer on the table. So yeah, I would have to say just uh, the fact that they're a little quiet on that front, but at the same time, they could be working diligently to bring some of these guys in. So it's kind of hard to say when I'm just sitting here in this nice dining room. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, Nick, the biggest surprise would probably be that they they had Blake Martinez lined up as that guy in, a, in an inside backer mark. I understand why they needed to and wanted to come out of this first part of this free agency period 
with an inside backer. That was important to them. That's something they felt like they needed to do. But I'm just still a little bit surprised Martinez was that guy. I get it. He's a team captain. I get it. He's going to fix what Ogletree couldn't do when it comes to diagnosing King and, and stopping run plays that came right at him. And I get that he played that he played with Patrick Graham. He knows him. He likes him. Thinks he can get more out of him, maybe. And he's still just 26 years old. But to me, it's kind of what Gettleman's kind of shown throughout his tenure of the Giants, and it's that inability to stay patient in free agency. I understand going out and getting Bradbury. I'm for that. I think they needed to lock up Bradbury or Jones. I wanted Jones, obviously, but I think they needed to get one of the two on day one because otherwise someone's going to get in there. But sometimes in free agency, the best teams you'll see wait. They let it wait out. They let it play out. And this is kind of what the Giants, I assume, by the way, are doing when it comes to the edge market. They want to see where the first contract, where the first domino falls there. But what I think you got to do sometimes is wait it out, be patient, let the market play itself out, and then you get the better value. I don't think Martinez necessarily had a huge market. I mean, I could be wrong. But from what I've heard, the Packers who wanted to re-sign him were only willing to go up to 7 or $8 million a year. And the Giants paid, you know, considerably more than that on their contract. They, you know, the Packers are looking at closer to a Nick Kwiatkowski-type contract, and the Giants gave him closer to a, you know, Corey Littleton or Joel Schobert on an annual basis. So, you know, obviously the guaranteed money is not, not as much as those two, but on an annual basis. So to me, that was probably the biggest surprise. What was your biggest disappointment so far from the Giants standpoint? Yeah, my biggest disappointment absolutely has nothing to do with the Giants team in-house per se, but it has to do with the fact that Javon Hargrave was added to that Philadelphia Eagles defensive line to form a Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Malik Jackson, Javon Hargrave defensive front that's going to uh, absolutely wreck the Giants offensive line if they don't progress significantly under uh, Mark Colombo. So that addition may be given the giant fits because I feel like he's one of the more underrated players in the NFL. He was on Pittsburgh last year. He's a gigantic mountain of a man with really good athleticism and movement skills for someone of his size. And you pair that with Fletcher Cox on the interior parts. Will Hernandez, whoever's playing center, and Kevin Zeitler are going to have their hands filled twice a year when they play Philly. Yeah, I mean, oof. You know, that was a bad one for the Giants, I thought, too. Hargrave's super underrated player has been a massive reason for the for that Steelers defense to be so uh, – that they performed such a high level. And, you know, maybe some thought he was only a fit for that 3-4 base, but the Eagles are going to change that – change people's minds on that quick because when, he, when he's playing alongside Fletcher Cox, who's going to be the three-tech there, it's going to be an yeah. absolute – going to give absolute fits for the interior of every single offensive line in the NFL, Giants included, really cannot afford to go go back in this thing with Pulley and, and Jalapeo or whatever at center. They got to do something there. But that was probably your dis- biggest disappointment. But mine actually, Nick, was, was a signing that happened actually a few minutes, or at least it was announced a few minutes after the Giants uh, signed Blake Martinez. And that was Jimmy Ward coming back to the 49ers on a three-year deal just, I believe, just under what the Giants paid Martinez, I think it was $29 million for three years. I loved Ward. I thought he was such a high upside. I understand the risk with Ward. He's been super injured his entire career since the Niners drafted him until last season, where he even dealt with some injury but wasn't that injured. But last year, he finally made that switch after, you know, playing a lot of slot, a lot of nickel throughout his career. He finally made that switch to playing the deep half, and he was so freaking exciting when I watched a little bit of him early season. And everything I read from my Niners guys say that he was just one of the most exciting impact players on that defense in 2019 after moving to the deep half and it's just so hard to find a deep half safety in the NFL you saw what happened to the deep half safety market it just dried the hell up Anthony Harris was tagged Devin McCourty was re-signed by the by the by the New England Patriots uh Justin Simmons was tagged gone 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 teams don't give up deep half safeties when they're lucky enough to locate and find one and the Giants are still looking they've been looking for a deep half safety for going on a decade, they almost had one with Kenny Phillips, but the injuries killed them. They sort of had one with Antrell Roll, but he really wasn't even best in the deep half, in my opinion. But again, they're looking, they're still searching, and that was my biggest biggest disappointment. I thought it was well worth the risk. I understand the injury concerns, well worth the risk at three years, thirty million to potentially get an elite deep half safety, and that's kind of what he was in 2019 after finally playing that role for a full season with the 49ers. So that would be my biggest disappointment, Nick. How about this one though, Nick? And this kind of builds off of that. There are some reports circulating out there that the Vikings, who did franchise tag Anthony Harris, given their cap concerns, long-term, short-term, may be looking to tag and trade Harris. And according to the report, at least, they may only be looking for a mid-round pick in return. Should the Giants explore this option, in your opinion? 
So if they're looking for a mid-round pick, we're talking about maybe the Giants' fifth or something like that? I don't think. I think that's more late. I'm thinking they're looking day two range, round three maybe. So trading the third-round pick and then probably giving him a three- to four-year, what, $15 million a year kind of uh, cap hit. We're probably looking at somewhere around that, kind of reset that free safety market. Again, just to be clear, you're right, Nick. Any sign-and-trade for Anthony Harris would require a re-signing at market value, reset the market at the same position, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think it could be definitely explored. I mean, the money could be talked out. I mean, you and I talked about how adding him would significantly help the back end. So what's the difference between, other than giving up that asset, which I really don't want to do, considering the fact that the Giants already gave up, obviously, the Leonard Williams asset. But I think entertaining it isn't the worst thing in the world to see. But are there other teams that are going to bid more and give up more? I really don't want to part ways with a third-round pick, if I'm going to be honest. But if it is a four, I think it's something that can be uh, entertained. Yeah, I think this is where you might be able to get cre- – well, I was going to say get creative and maybe start to you know fling some of your players involved in the deal, but potentially maybe the Vikings, after moving on from Linville Joseph, want to try to acquire somebody like Dalvin Tomlinson who's still on that rookie contract and cheap. So could they you know float something like Dalvin Tomlinson in a late-round pick in the fourth, fifth-round range for Harris? That could interest me. I think they can make it worth financially. I think he's somebody who's well worth being on the roster long-term, but – I think given, you know, them bowing out of the Byron Jones three states, they're kind of making it seem like they don't want to really break the bank on any of these signings. They want short-term deals that aren't tying up long-term money and big guarantees to guys and kind of more more is better than fewer guys. And, and that goes into what Joe Judge said uh, earlier when it, come, when it came to the pass rush of the combine. He said maybe it's not having that elite big money guy. It's a bunch of guys doing little things. And that's kind of what I'm starting to get the feel for, what the Giants kind of plan is. I should say so. I don't know if it's in their plans, Nick, but, you know, if you floated the idea to me of Dalvin Tomlinson and a late mid to late round pick for Anthony Harris and then ensuing uh, the ensuing decision would be them re-signing Harris to a massive contract. I'm in. I I, I like it. I think he's worth the money. So so I'm intrigued by it for sure. All right, Nick, in other free agent news, the Giants, uh, according to Ian Rappaport, and like I said, from what I've heard from someone very, very locked in at CBS, we're 100% in on signing Byron Jones. Their free agent plan, like I said, was Jones or, Brad- and, or Bradbury. Now, they went in. They were one of the last teams in on Jones, but they lost out to Miami. My assumption, again, this is based on those sourcing, Nick, is that the income tax laws played a big role in this. But again, the Miami priced them out. Do you feel comfortable with the Giants' decision to bow out of Jones and pivot to Bradbury to kind of use money saved for other reinforcements and, and keep kind of that long-term money free? I'm actually I am fine with that because I didn't want to get into a bidding war with the Eagles or the Dolphins and kind of drive that price up like you said before like the Jaguars did uh, with the Giants and with the Jaguars back with Olivier Vernon I didn't really necessarily want that to happen so I kind of like the fact that they went with a slightly cheaper option yet Bradbury isn't the player of Jones but that gives the flexibility and the money to the Giants to allocate towards the other positions that they need on the roster which we all know the Giants have a lot of holes that they need to plug up if this team is going to be competitive in the coming years so yes I'm fine with that interesting so first of all what I found most interesting is how you pronounce the word Jaguars weird uh, Jaguar- what I say? how'd I say it Jaguars. This is not the Jaguars. Yeah, that is what weird. You just said you can run back the tape and you'll see it, but you'll hear. It. But <laughs> moving on from that, <laughs> I will say this, Nick. I'm not as comfortable with it as you are. Again, I get, I get it. They made a mistake by doing that with Olivier Vernon, but Olivier Vernon had an injury history, and Olivier Vernon, you know, had other red flags that potentially, you know, you might not see with a free agent like Byron Jones. The only red flag you can even say for Jones that he didn't have a high interception total. But that's pretty much based on scheme from what I've heard and the way that he was coached up to defend receivers there in Dallas. So to me, this was just such a rare opportunity with Jones. I don't normally see free agents like this hit the market. Almost always, I say 99% of the time, these no red flag free agents are re-signed by their team. But the the Cowboys just found themselves in a really weird spot where they drafted so well over the last five years that they've had to re-sign so many players. And Jerry Jones did not want to let Ezekiel Elliott go even though obviously a lot of people like myself would say they would have been much better off re-signing Jones and letting Zeke go. I think I think a lot of fans would agree with me on that, but he didn't want to do it, so he hit the market. So for me, I really thought they should have overpaid for him, and I know it's usually it's not the right move to overpay for these guys. It's really worked out 
poorly most times. I'd say seven, eight out of ten times it's been a disaster for teams that have done it in free agency. I just felt like this was kind of an outlier situation. But time will tell on that one, and at least they were able to get a guy in Bradbury who can kind of lock down, they hope, those number ones travel with them and play, and help the Giants, you know, be more flexible in those three by one sets. Do, do you right. have a do you have a number that you think you would have went up to if the bidding war did like really get out of control? Like seventeen and a half? That that's a million more uh, yeah, per it was year. Kind of big on the number didn't matter to me, Nick. I don't really yeah. believe too much in in these in these numbers when it comes to the cap, especially when you have a rookie contract. Obviously, once that rookie deals up for Daniel Jones, if he is the guy who's going to be the quarterback of this franchise, and they're going to give him the $30 million that Tannehill just got or whatever it costs, by then it's probably going to be $40 freaking million a year for a quarterback. <laughs> then things change. Then you got to start worrying about the money. The money, to me, until then, is just kind of not that important. I think it can be maneuvered around with. You see it all the time. Look at what the, the Cowboys just restructured Zeke and another one of their big contracts this year to kick some cap down, kick some of that cap can down the road. The Vikings did it with their restructuring, re-signing of Kirk Cousins. You'll see it all the time from these teams. So we'll move forward there. But, again, that's kind of where I stood on that one, Nick. All right. Here's my next question for you, Nick. Any interest on kicking the tires in a former – Top target of New York Giants, who was just released by the Chicago Bears, and that's outside linebacker slash defensive end Leonard Floyd. Yes, I, I have a lot of interest in this because I do feel like he might be able to be had on the cheap because he's underwhelmed. I mean, he's a former top 10 pick by the Bears. We all know Jerry Reese loved him. Jerry Reese likes Jack Conklin. And then Jerry Reese got jumped by two teams in that draft back in 2016. So, he had seven sacks in his first two seasons, and then he's had seven since. And he has dealt with injuries. He's played through injuries. I want to say it was his second or third season in the NFL. I think it was his second season where he only played like 10 games because of something that had – it was a serious injury. I think it was back. It might actually happen when they played against the Giants, but that's, but that's irrelevant. I still think his length, his explosiveness, and the athletic traits that he does possess are worth bringing in. I mean the Giants are so razor thin right now at – the edge position. So bringing in someone like Leonard Floyd to kind of come in there and compete, I don't think it's necessarily redundant just because we have another Georgia Bulldog who is a longer kind of pass rusher who's relatively raw like Lorenzo Carter. I think the Giants need to just throw as many uh, of these quality players who could develop into quality players, I should say, out there. And he obviously has a lot of high draft pedigree. A lot of people thought really highly of him. It just hasn't been tapped yet. Maybe it can be tapped in Patrick Graham's defense, so why not? I'm, I'm very in on this too, Nick. And I think that his potential has been tapped a little more than people give him credit for. I think the sack numbers are whatever. I'm not a big believer in that. But from what I've seen from him and from some of the numbers, he has done a really good job when he's been healthy and on the field. The, in the issue for him has been injuries. But because of that issue, I don't see him getting a huge contract. And as the Giants kind of look to that second, third tier for edge help, they're going to need to add guys to the edge because they did release Kareem Martin, total bust. But he was one of the guys on the edge. And, you know, there are spots to fill on that edge. He could be one of them. I'm intrigued by him. I don't think it's redundant. I think you want these kind of guys who can play multiple roles, who can drop in coverage or rush the passer and set the edge in some ways. And after missing out on Emmanuel Agba, um, who I was going to get to as another talking point, we lost one of our free agent sleepers in Agba. I think Floyd kind of be uh, a nice backup plan there. And again, one key thing of that, he won't count, even though the Giants are kind of probably beat. Uh, you know, out of the running anyway for any compensatory draft picks after the first day. He won't count against that formula for what it's worth. Yeah, which is really important. A lot of people don't really take that into account, but you're talking about possibly third, three, fourth round picks later on down the line, you know? Yeah. So, true, I mean, true. I always. True, but important to note, Nick, because I don't want to mislead anyone. It's not going to happen most likely this year anyway, because the Giants aren't really losing anyone to free agency and they're signing guys. So. Yeah. So, yeah, but I guess it's not much of a concern for this year, but at the same time, it will keep his price down, I do think, on the open market, especially with the injuries. How about another guy who was just cut, another guy close to home, uh, and that was Devin Kennard of the Detroit Lions. Yeah, Devon Kennard. That's how I pronounce it. But right. Devon better than your Jaguars. Dude, better than my Jaguars and better than my Joey LaFaro or whatever the hell I – or how did I, how did I butcher that? Uh, the, you the, butchered an Italian name. You're Nick Filato and you're butchering Italian names. That was I know, man. Like people know me for podcast history. I know people know me for being the Italian guy. You know what I'm saying? You're Even though I've never been to Italy, you're live up to the hype. I know. I should. You know, maybe I'm just a big freaking fraud. <laughs> but yeah, no, Devon Kennard, man. Uh, so. I've always heard positive things from like Lions Twitter about Devon Kennard. Now, obviously, I haven't gr grinded through Lions tape, but yeah. the Giants have played the Lions, and when I see him out there, he seems like he's a uh, 
for, you know, what you expected from that middle range kind of edge player. And he's had what? Let me get the stats up right in front of me. He's had seven sacks each season in Detroit and nine tackles for a loss each season in Detroit. Now, those are solid numbers. He's somebody who's 28 years old right now. And again, you need as much edge help as possible. So if he's willing to reunite and come back to New York, I'm going to be all for it too. If I had to pick between Kennard and Floyd, I'd probably go with Floyd. Uh, but I still like uh, the prospects of possibly bringing Kennard back. Yeah, I don't think I'm as heavy and hot on Kennard. As That's not even the right word. You're not that into it. But I'm not as into the signing, I would say, as as most people are. I think he's kind of been a little bit overrated by some PFF numbers. Um, clearly, the Lions don't feel his value to the team was as, you know, I guess strong as what some others have felt on on Twitter. I would much prefer to go with a guy like Leonard Floyd there. I don't think that Kennard might be the best fit they could find for this coming in defensive system, especially if the Lions, you know, with Patricia over there, are moving on from him uh, this fast. So I'm, I'm kind of out on Kennard. I, there's a few other guys I, I'd have over him on my list. All right, Nick, as we move forward to the rest of day one, of day two, I should say, um, we do plan on hitting more of these as we go forward, kind of reacting to the news. But before we close out today, Nick, is there anything else that you found interesting about day one or the other part of day two or anything else for you so you want to talk? Doesn't have to be Giants, anything NFL. Um, yeah, well, obviously we have the Bill O'Brien uh, trade, which uh, left everybody head scratching and uh, just paused for flabbergasted. Just insert whatever synonym that you want to there. I still can't wrap my mind around it. But I thought uh, the Halapuli Vatai Vatai deal was a, was a bit much. Uh, these and offensive tag, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. That deal for Big V, five years, 50 million, insane. And then that wasn't even the most insane thing. Eric Flowers signed three years, 30 million after one half decent season at left guard with Bill Callahan as his offensive line coach. But wait, there's more. The Giant, the Jets actually gave $30 million on a three-year deal to George Fant, the offensive tackle from the Seahawks who played like 200 snaps at tackle last year and another 200 at tight end and has been god-awful every single time I've watched him play and in the numbers. Like, the offensive line deals, Nick, were insane, and they're going to continue to be insane. It is so hard to find offensive linemen in free agency. That is what, you know, honestly, Nick, after looking more into this, it, I'm starting to lean back as much as I love Simmons, Nick. I'm starting to lean back to maybe the Giants do need to go offensive tackle up top because in round one because how else are they going to get one? It's and such an important decision, Dan, because yeah. it's going to really shape whatever the Giants are going to do in the future. I love Simmons. Don't get me wrong. But when are you going to be selecting in the top 10? Again, hopefully the Giants don't expect to with four potential top-end tackles that could be available. Three in my mind, but a lot of people like Andrew Thomas better than I think you and I do. It's going to be hard to pass up. It is. It is. It's it's interesting, too, because it's like, on one hand, you have this generation. I think just, I don't think there's going to be a Simmons-like prospect in a draft class for a while, and I don't think the Giants, when he does come along, is going to be there. Don't even view him as a linebacker. Don't view him in any position. Just view him as a defensive playmaker who's versatile enough to play a variety of roles for your defense and has production on his side and freakish athleticism. He has potential to, in my opinion, to be one of the best defensive players in the NFL. I really do believe that, Nick, especially as the NFL evolves to what it's becoming. Having said that, like you said, where do you find tackles? Now, you can go by the history of this, Nick, and Gettleman's done a pretty good job locating tackles outside the first round. Taylor Moden, unreal draft pick by Gettleman uh, during his last season with the Panthers as GM, traded up into the second round, uh, earlier in the second round there. I think he ended up being a top 45 pick and landed Moten there. And so the Giants do have a 36 pick, so it's possible, you know, Gettleman sees a Moten in his draft class, and he can sit and he can wait for 36. He's also found Darrell Williams, obviously, in the fourth round there, another offensive tackle, Trey Turner in the third round. He's at that, but that's a guard that Gettleman located there. So he had some success doing it, but, you know, banking on that's tough because it's not easy to locate those guys because, like I said, you can ju you can see just by how much money was spent on guys like George Fant and Eric Flowers and Big V on the free agent market in the last 24 hours, how desperate, how absolutely desperate teams are for offensive line help and how much they're willing to pay to just take a chance that maybe what they saw in a game or two of game tape, like, you know, kind of like what Gettleman saw with Omame, maybe Joe Douglas of the Jets sees that in, in George Fant and maybe whoever, I don't even know who signed Big V. I forgot who signed Big V. The D Detroit. Oh, Detroit. Yikes. Maybe the Lions see something in Big V's tape that they like. Whatever it may be, they're hoping, they're praying, they're clawing. 
And I, it sucks the Giants are still in that position as well with tons of NFL teams, every single NFL team essentially. But, you know, you got to hope that they find a way out of it. And, and like I said, I'm starting to lean back to maybe, just maybe, you know, offensive tackle round one. Or maybe trade that. Yeah, maybe, man. The best it's, of both worlds. And you get the tackle and, and you get some kind of defensive player, not like Simmons, but maybe a Murray, who I love, an inside backer. Though, you yeah, know, was, the trade but, down option is obviously the ideal option. But another thing is just the development. Maybe the offensive line coach yeah. uh, in Carolina really developed those players to kind of maximize what they could be. And I, and I have really positive prospects about Mark Colombo being able to do this, especially when you, uh, com- you know, juxtapose him with Hal Hunter. So, I hope that that's something that can really happen, with, especially with the guys on the roster. I know we've talked about it, but another surprising deal was Jimmy Graham, bro. How the hell are people still giving him money? <laughs> that one I wouldn't call surprising. I was really hoping that Jimmy Graham would retire. I think that he has absolutely nothing left in the tank. I think he's arguably the worst football player in the NFL right now. I really do. <laughs> he's a net negative as a blocker. Adds literally nothing there. Has no ability after catch. He can't even jump anymore. I am so stunned by that Jimmy Graham signing. Just stunned. Are you stunned by the Austin Hooper signing, though, too? I mean, as, as good as Hooper is, I feel like people forgot that David Njoku's a person. I mean, he broke his wrist. He's still there, though. I wasn't stunned by that because I think like deep half safety, like offensive tackle, tight end is a position that is just so damn scarce in the NFL. There's so few of these guys. And, you know, he had a breakout season for the Falcons, and I think a lot of that could have been a rapport with with Matty Ryan that was developing over time and defense is focusing on Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones, but the Browns are hoping the same thing can happen with Beckham and Landry and everything they got there. Um, but you know, and obviously they signed Conklin too, to try to boost that offensive line though. I have my own reservations about Conklin and pass protection in a, in a new system there. Uh, though then again, they are moving towards that Stefanski run heavy system. So he should be fine there, but you know, we'll see how it works out there. But I think what it comes down to Nick was a system fit. There it was a system signing for Hooper. They were willing to pay the market price. They were willing to reset the market for a guy because they felt like Kevin Stefanski's system could not work with Justin Joku as a tight end. And how were they going to find that tight end otherwise? Because this draft class quite frankly sucks at the position. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an excellent point too. Especially when you look at the draft class. Yep. All right, Nick. Before we sign off, any prediction on where Tommy Brady will sign? Because the big news from today was Brady saying goodbye to New England Patriots, or, or more likely the Patriots saying goodbye to Brady is what I think happened. Yeah, man, TB12, where is he going to go? I mean, I think the two popular choices right now, I, there's really three, but the two that are really on my mind are the Buccaneers and then the Chargers. And the fact that he's in this whole production, he uh, just got this production company out in Los Angeles, kind of, you know, Makes you think Los Angeles. You think about Giselle or Los Angeles, Tampa. Which one would you rather be in? So I think I'm going to go with the Chargers, even though they're the freaking Chargers, which is just odd to see him in that uniform in that situation. But it would definitely sell tickets, which would be awesome for the Chargers because nobody's going to any of their games except for the opposing team's fans. Yeah, Nick, I uh, lost a hefty, hefty penny on this stupid Tom Brady thing. I, I bet Brady to resign with the Patriots at minus 150. I really thought it was such a freaking lock. I can't. Can't believe this happened. Um, wish I had some, a little bit better insight on that one. But for me, if I could get back in on the market, I would get in hard on Chargers right now. I think the Tampa Bay crap is is overblown BS just to kind of inflate the market, make the Chargers pay a little more, anything like that. Why in the hell would you go to the Bucs? They re-signed JPP and Shaquille Barrett to a defense that was arguably one of the worst in the NFL with those guys last year. It's not a good defense, has no signs of getting any better. And even more importantly, that Buccaneers offense is an atrocious offensive line. Brady cannot afford to play another season like he did in 2019 with all the injuries on that Patriots line with a bad offensive line. And it's going to be worse in Tampa even than it was in 2019. So what do you do? You go to the Chargers. You go to a team that has an excellent defense, a team that can play a run-first style on offense like he needs, run-first play action, and just traded for Trey Turner to improve their uh, you know. Offensive line up front, they'll probably now use that top draft pick on one of these top tackles, at least in my opinion. If they do go ahead and sign Brady, I believe they will use that seventh pick on one of the big offensive tackles. So you tell him, hey, Tom, come in. You're going to get one of these offensive tackles. We're going to give you Trey Turner. We're going to give you an unbelievable defense that's only going to get better with Derwin James being fully healthy for the 2020 season. We're going to give you Mike Williams, that receiver. We just had Hunter Henry for you. We know you love throwing the tight ends. We just re-signed Austin Eckler for you. We know you love throwing the running backs. And what else could you want here, Tom? You got your new production company set up in, in, in California. You come back home. He's a kid from San Francisco. I think it's just a match made in heaven. And so for me, 
if I can get back in on it and the odds aren't too bad, I'm going to drop a little penny to kind of win some money back, chase the money uh, on Brady going to the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good call. We're in agreement when it comes to that. The one thing, though, about the Buccaneers defense with Todd Bowles, pretty damn good against the run, but yeah. pretty atrocious against the pass. But it definitely it's didn't help. It's great against the run, atrocious against the pass, but where does that leave you? Giving up a lot of points. Unfortunately, we hope the Giants aren't falling in that path. Uh, I can only hope. Uh, Especially with Jim. Yeah. (laughs) But on that note, guys, thank you again for tuning in. This is the Big Blue Banter Podcast. We love you guys. We love the participation. Everybody who gets involved on Twitter. The one favor we will ask for you and, you know, we'll always ask is if you can do us a favor, just tell your friends and family about the podcast. Help spread the word. Help us grow. We love uh, all the loyal listeners. We have a loyal fan base that listens to every pod, and we appreciate you. We know you. Thanks again. And if you haven't rated and reviewed us on iTunes, please go ahead and do us a favor and do that. Make sure you download the pods, too. That helps us as well. On that note, guys, that's all we have for today, but you'll be hearing from us soon because free agency is rolling through, and the Giants are making moves.